Going once, going twice, sold. You're listening to The Property Pod, an accessible and easy way to get into or help understand the goings-on of the property market. Join Aaron, John and Pat as they discuss all things real estate, most likely get sidetracked and then try and rein it all back in as they present The Property Pod. I'm not, I'm not driving. Do, do you want to start it off? Yeah, you do it. All right. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to The Property Pod. Here we have with our three favorite real estate agents, Aaron Horn, Patrick Berry, and John McGregor. Gentlemen, how are you this morning? Feeling pretty good, J-Max. <laughs> Loving the intro today. <laughs> yeah, wowzers, trousers. I'm not an agent, by the way. Yeah, well, you are today. You reckon? Yeah, let's do it. All right, sweet. I'll take that. Let's roll with that. He's bought a house once. He's upgraded. Yeah, yeah. Now, you're, you're our resident expert, mate. It's, uh, it is what it is. Well, far from expert, and actually what I wanted to talk about today was when I bought my house, if I didn't have you guys on deck, oh, yep, yep. I would have been in a whole world of pain. Yeah, the offer process. Yeah, so I thought today would be a good day to get into that. Straight off the thought, is it, you're exactly right. Most people, and I might have said this before, is it will spend more time researching their television than they do actually understanding the process of purchasing a home. I think it's a really simple, we can rack this show up in about 20 seconds. Yep. Sign here. Thank you. <laughs> Done. No, that'll do Mate, it. We don't all wear, do we wear fur coats and goblets and just toss our money around. <laughs> oh, I'll just sign this bit of paper and sign that bit of paper. The, one, one of my, well, really, a book I really do enjoy actually uh, was The Yes Man by, with, by Danny Wallace. And they Is that did, the um, Jim Carrey That's movie? The, the adaption, yeah. But the, the actual movie itself like had no elements to just a jumping off point yeah Yeah. but legitimately if if you read that book he was required for for the first element anytime that someone had asked him a question he had to say yes and he he did it for like a year or something he did it for a year yep and but before he had to end up having to have some rules but for the first part it was yes it was yes 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 every time he was asked a question what was what was one of the kind of more outlandish things he had to say yes to can you remember um god it was years ago since i read that book I think one of them that changed his life the most was it was an inv- invitation to go to Spain. Uh, oh, someone just said, do you want to come to Spain with me? Invit- yep. And away he went. And then so how did it work for finances and stuff like that? Like he just had to make it work. He just had to make it work. He was a writer and, and journalist, I think it was. And apparently he just racked up a lot of credit card debt, <laughs> effectively. Yep. So it, it didn't, I can't remember how much it went into that, but I do remember in the book he, yeah, he just racked up a lot of debt. A lot of because de- he, he was he was you know donating here he was you know every time someone bumped into him in the street uh, you know would you like to donate to this cause like yes ah uh, like yeah yeah I got yes, you, got send you. that so off send that off yeah so, so then the sequel was called the debt man the debt <laughs> either way if you're a yes man in purchasing property let's just say you're going to get into some trouble and Pat's, you're my favourite friend I know Pat sounded like a yes man there he's been out of the game off with his BMX stuff so he must be chomping at the bit to get some uh, sales <laughs> so I'm just joking around when I say just sign here John obviously there is a lot more to it mm-hmm. than just signing a bit of paper and yeah. looking at a house yeah, like yeah. sure if you want to do it that's great but <laughs> you probably should know a little bit more about what you're getting into Yeah, yeah. so I think we yeah. should really have a deep dive and a look at what's actually involved in the process of it. What do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, this would be fun. All right, be fun. Well, All let's right. cut to a break and get into it. As a family-run business, First National Real Estate McGregor understands that the property market can be stressful. However, with a strong team in both sales and rentals, we are here to guide you through the property maze. Find out more today at McGregorFM.com. Cool, boys. All right. 
let's do it. I want to know more about making an offer and getting a contract signed and what all this stuff means. Mm. I know if I didn't have, I said it before, if I didn't have you guys on deck and trusted you the way I do, I would have been up a creek without a paddle. Yeah, yep. So essentially, if we were just to go at it, what is the process of buying a home in Tassie? And then how does it differ on the mainland? Like, Is the process of me buying there different to here? One of the things I'm going to preface for us is, again, that the whole thing we always push in the show is to, to have a good team built around you. One of the very simple things that people haven't don't consider is, you know, who am I going to be approaching after I've purchased a home? So it's really common now that people have probably sought their bank or their financial lender about asking, look, how much can I even borrow? But some people might not even do that first. But another person they don't realise they should need to consider is actually having their team of um, their solicitor or um, conveyancer in that instance to help them walk through what extra clauses they might need on a contract and review it and also to even their, their building inspector as it's been mentioned before their finance broker so before you really start pulling the pin on purchasing a property you really want to get that team lined up first and in your case Aaron I mean you had good friends that could help you um, oh, definitely, coach yeah. you through, through, through that as well so even building a relationship with, an, with a real estate agent you trust might not necessarily be the first agent or the final agent that you purchased the home through <laughs> Bless you, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I've, I've, because the reason, the reason why I say that is before we get into the meat of it is, I've many, many times I've had um, first home buyers, especially, come to me, and this might be that they've missed out on two other properties, and then we've sat them down and said, okay, so are you familiar with the standard conditions and what all these clauses mean? And they said, oh, we've never read it. What? Um, I mean, I'm just sort of gobsmacked. So then it's like, right, before we even begin this process, I'm going to ensure that you guys are all very, very comfortable exactly what you're signing before we continue down this offer process. It's interesting you said that as well because I had a property last night, I was working with some purchasers and I think this is the fifth property they were trying to buy mm. and everyone they'd missed out on, John. And I said, rightio, we need to have a look at what you've been putting in. Well, the ver- we've been writing the contracts up ourselves. our solicitor helped us write the first one and mm. we haven't had any luck ever since. Yeah, There was one simple clause on the solicitor's contract that they prepared mm-hmm. that was a no-go for any vendor to sign because they were competing against other people's it was just throwing them out oh, we right. just slightly worded it so it still allowed them to do what they wanted to do yep but gave the vendor a little bit of protection as well mm-hmm. and i think they'll have a lot better chance now of actually securing a property so yeah um yeah yep. it's yeah like obviously it's important to get solicitors to look over contracts but it's also important to understand that sometimes there needs to be a bit of give and take as well with a contract. Yep. It just can't be all one way or another. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, but like you said, there's so many people that don't actually know what they're signing. A lot of agents will just get them to. I wonder if that's sign here. Yeah, I wonder if that's something that's come from you know, like the old um, when you'd get iTunes on your computer and it would come up with all the um, terms and conditions, and you just always agree Click. to it. Click. And there's like that South Park episode where um, is it Butters or one of them or Kyle mm. doesn't um, read the terms and conditions and ends up getting turned into a human centipede. <laughs> That's right. But essentially, like everybody jokes in South Park that they've read, like every time you update your iTunes, you read through the whole entire thing and it's just this yeah. ridiculous thing. And every time every person agrees to it, like Apple could get in there and just be like, we now own your soul. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Well, and they probably do. <laughs> so, but like, I'm so used to doing that. I'm like, oh, yeah, new terms and conditions, click, I agree to all of this. Yeah, yeah. Because it could be the same with buying a property, just like, oh, yeah, they know what they're doing. Sign on the dotted line, as Pat tells us gone. to. Well, I think, well, why don't we say, we're going to assume at this point that you've been looking on the market for quite some time and you're ready to like, okay, what do I do to make an offer now? Yeah, let's pretend you've never made an offer, don't know First what's involved, around. how do you do it? Yeah, yeah. So the first one is obviously what actually constitutes an offer. 
So, for example, let's just say you offer for $500,000. Well, that's actually not enough information because what we're going to need next is, okay, what does that $500,000 look like? Does that Have you got $500,000 in your bank account that you can just transfer 30 days after you know, an offer and acceptance? Or is that $500,000 subject to a building inspection? Is it subject to a, is it subject to finance? Is it subject to, uh, you know, approvals of, of any, any magnitude? So what you're looking at then is you've got a offer price of $500,000. What conditions are associated with that, including your deposit? So is that 5%, 10%, $1,000. What are the conditions preceding that? So a conditions precedent is, for example, finance or a building inspection. And then finally, what have you, what's the time frame of your settlement? So is that 30 days upon confirmation of your finance or is it a 60-day clause? Is it a 120-day clause? So you've got all these elements of your offer that the price isn't the sole determinant of whether or not that offer is going to be accepted. But where, do all, where does all that stuff come from? Like, why does it change 30 days, 60 days, 90 days? Like, what's the reason? What's the reason for all that? For all that. I suppose the, the best way to consider it is how much, what's the minimum amount of time that's going to take for those clauses to be satisfied? So you couldn't have a, it'd be hard to have a one day building inspection clause, for example, um, because that's not going to give enough time for it to have a professional come and look at the property, assess it, do a report for you to review the report and then then make a decision accordingly. But don't um, they, sorry, I'm mm. probably jumping all over the place here, but I know I was talking to some people on the weekend in Bendigo. Yep. They have they have to get the, their building inspection done prior to making like an auction or whatever like that. Oh, okay. So yeah, so it's different states have different ways of doing things. Yes, yeah, um, so I guess that's where the question before was. Yeah. So um, obviously in states like Victoria, for instance, um, everyone knows that they're very auction heavy and they do a lot of auctions as their form of sale. Yep. Um, with an auction, you need to be a fully, un- what we call an unconditional contract. So no clauses at all. Basically got that $500,000 ready to hand over in 30 days time. So everything that John just said is, is all done. off the table yep. and all done. Now in Tasmania, we tend to use for sale by offer. Um, where we put it out to the market and let people tell us what they're prepared to pay for a property. Um, And we have the difference where we have conditional offers and unconditional offers. So John's talking about conditional offers, which have strings attached to them. Yep. So things that need to be met within timeframes for the deal to go ahead. What your friends were describing in the mainland is what we call an unconditional offer. So they're being told by their agent, you need to go have finance 110% done. You need to have your building all fully finished before you can proceed forward. And so it's just different states have slightly different ways of doing it. I guess in Tassie we must be a little bit more relaxed and we're prepared to give people the time to organise. Well, it comes down to if you're purchasing under auction conditions versus private treaty situation. So I remember you talking about private yeah, treaty so way back when. In, in, in the sense of an auction, and this is actually here's an interesting difference that happens money versus um, in Victoria, Sydney under auction. Under an auction circumstance, a contract and its terms are going to be actually drawn up prior to the property even becoming available for sale, generally speaking, because the contract has to be available to be seen by the purchasers at least between 7 to 14 days prior to the auction proceeding. I, I, had don't, I know those dates aren't right, so forgive me, but it has to be generally at least seven days um, before the, we, you have, the contract's got to be available to see. Under buying under auction terms is that it's going to be fundamentally um, a cash contract with a 10% deposit, no conditions applied. So it's just you're buying it, bam, away you go. So that's why they say you've got to do all your research prior to you making an offer yep. because you can't have it subject to a building inspection. You can't have it subject to finance. On, on the, when you put up your hand and you're successful on the day or beforehand or after, that's it. Away you go. Like that, that house is yours and you're committed to it. 
after the deposit is paid. In Tasmania, for example, though, because we've got it's you know ninety nine percent private treaty, most offers are going to be purchased under a conditional arrangement. It's very rare that someone's got that money available and they'll be signing a contract with no conditions whatsoever. And so that's why then the contracts aren't generally drafted beforehand. In Tasmania, they'll end up getting drafted by the real estate agent as opposed to the solicitor. One of the interesting things about Tasmania is where in most of Australia, the contracts are actually legislated by parliament. In Tasmania, they've actually been um, drawn up by both in conjunction with the Real Estate Institute of Tasmania and the Law Society. Uh, So with that, on a contract, if you're asked to see it beforehand, you'll see two big badges, the REIT and the Law Society. This is vitally important that um, if you are about to make an offer on a property, you ask to see the contract and you see those two images on the top because they are, it's a copyrighted contract that has been drawn up in conjunction with the, with the Act um, and so therefore you are signing a contract in confidence or making an offer on a property in confidence that all the terms are legal, relevant and you know, appropriate to Tasmania. So it's not like just a napkin, someone's written, oh, I'm going to buy your house for 500000 That's exactly right. It's the real deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so then I suppose the next one is, um, you know, we're looking at how do we actually do it. I know we got sidetracked a bit, but probably the best thing to ask, if you were someone who was going to ask Pat, how would you submit an offer, what would you say? Um, I normally say to people that, me personally, I like to do it here in our office yep. uh, as opposed to at the property. I like to get people in and we type it up together and go through it all and make sure we've got everything done correctly mm. mainly because my handwriting's terrible so i've got to work with what i got <laughs> yeah. um, and you can't spell and i can't spell so i need the computer to be able to spell check for me but moving past those two issues <laughs> but um, buy with him guys we promise he's a real good agent <laughs> yeah <laughs> he just uh, can't write well <laughs> he can somewhat talk he's, he's good <laughs> i have uh, noticed you talk to your watch a lot more to send messages and stuff now because <laughs> yeah, it's easier <laughs> siri gets it right <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've, we've given him shit. Let's move on. <laughs> we um, missed you last week, Pat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I normally invite people in the office, tell them it takes about 20 to 30 minutes to yep. draw up the contract. The reality is it's more about sort of 40 minutes by the time we go through all components of it. Mm-hmm. Um, after we've sort of gone through each stage, answered the questions, filled out the paperwork, we print it out and we go through it together step by step and do what you spoke about, talk about the standard conditions of sale, explain them, talk to them about what that actually means. Yeah, yeah. Um, the reason I say sort of 20 to 30 minutes up to sort of 40 minutes is because one of the first things I do is I try to get an understanding of has my purchaser been through this four or five times already in the last week? Yep. If they have, they probably already know the paperwork pretty well. Zip it through. And yeah. they're happy just to sign. And they don't want me explaining every finer little detail. Mm. And they're sitting there bored thinking, what the hell is he doing? We know all this. Yeah. However, if it's a new buyer that hasn't seen a contract in you know a few years, mm-hmm. um, it does take a good... 30 to 40 minutes to get through it because we want to explain every element of it yep. and make sure they fully understand it before they commit to signing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing I always like to stress to a purchaser is, like you said, with the contract making sure it's got the two logos at the top, mm-hmm. is also that at the point the purchaser signs the paperwork, it is just an offer. It mm-hmm. is not a contract. Mm-hmm. It, it's an offer because it's on their terms. So everything that's outlined in the paperwork from start to finish is all what they are happy with. Yeah, so now, that's that's what I wanted to check as well because... Like it's make this offer and then am I legally binded to that At the point away? that you sign it, it's an offer. If the owner within say, you know, we go and take it to the owner and they say, yes, we're happy with absolutely everything on there it ch- and they sign off on it, yep. it changes from an offer to a legally binding contract. Okay, yep. So if the owner comes back and makes one small change on it, they might change it from 21 days finance to 19 day finance, just something really minute and silly. Just to negotiate. Yeah. A- you then have the decision if you want to accept that change or reject it. 
and you're not committed to go any further from that point forward. So okay. mm. the moment the owner crosses something out, changes something and initials that change to take Hits back the to reset you, button. it resets it and you have the decision then whether or not you go forward. The other thing I really like to stress to purchasers as well is that when they sign a contract, they can pull out of the contract at any stage up until the point that we've told them that's been accepted. So mm-hmm. um, the other thing a purchaser needs to understand is that a contract is not accepted until the agent has actually called them and let them know that it is all finalised and accepted. So say hypothetically an agent gets a contract signed at 6 o'clock on Saturday night, yep. but they're too lazy to call the purchaser to let them know. At We're sitting on the couch, the purchaser is at 10.30 on Saturday night and thinking, shit, we've done a terrible thing, we shouldn't have done this. And they send an email through to, to the agent say, hey guys, just wanted to let you know, we need to get out of this, we've made a terrible mistake. Because the offer and acceptance hasn't happened in the form that they've been notified that it's been signed off on, they have the right to pull out of it. Is my understanding? Is that correct, John? Potentially, um, I think. Um, my yeah, I just I'm the understanding that you've got to have full offer and acceptance, which is relayed back to the purchase to inform them that their offer has been accepted. Yeah, to me that'd be that'd just be fair. Um, and in, in the event that what, what uh, about like a voicemail or something? Say you called, left a voicemail. I haven't checked it. Voicemail is timestamp, so you could argue that there is a voicemail there at a time. So I think. And although I think the, the biggest thing that um, part of the contract actually this is probably a good way to, say, to to mention is that in the event that a purchaser is very very unsure about committing to this there is the option for a the clause known as a cooling off period I really like this I use this a lot with my first home buyers especially yeah. yeah and where that came into play it's only a very recent history that it's been in Tasmania because that's one thing that's quite unique about the Tasmanian contract is everything can be you know is negotiable in that sense in let's use a contract in Victoria it's legislated that you have to have a cooling off period but in Tassie, you can choose to nominate to have it or not. Now, what a cooling off period is, is I like to think of it as a, I've changed my mind clause. So for any instance, like you've made an offer, it's been accepted by the owner, signed off, dated, but for the next three days, you can sit on it and go, oh, I changed my mind and you can withdraw without any consequence. Now, um, what I really like about this clause is if, say, you're at an open home on Saturday, you love a place to death, you want to buy it, but you're a little bit concerned about it because you haven't checked with your solicitor that you have, that everything's in there correctly, mm. you can effectively I tell my purchasers, add the cooling off clause. Let's get the deal done. Let's secure the property for you. And you can go on Monday and check with your solicitor that you're happy with everything and you've got the ability to cancel the contract if you've made a terrible mistake or I've led you astray with incorrect information and it's not what you thought it was. It gives you that ability to... Ensure you don't miss out, but also the ability to double check that everything's correct. So yeah. um, I tend to use it quite a lot as a way to make people feel and less stressed because they've got that ability to seek further advice. That would chill me out a bit if I felt kind of pressured to be like, oh, I don't want to miss out on this great place, but I don't know if all my eggs are in a line. Now, a lot of agents out there don't like it. They will try to push pretty hard to get you to remove it out of a contract. But the way I see it is that if you want to buy the property, you'll buy the property. Yeah. You're going to go ahead if you want it. And that's three days. It's not going to kill an agent to wait three days to know if you're definite 100% or not. No, no, exactly right. 414 Real Estate has been operating within the northern suburbs of Hobart since 2006. With their innovative approach to marketing and managing your property, they have all your property needs covered. Find out more by visiting them today at 414.com.au. Things though, uh, I know we're jumping around a bit, but remember that example you'd mentioned before about the purchases that had had obviously a very sticky clause that they weren't getting on, you know, they didn't, they weren't getting accepted after five contracts or something. Mm -hmm. What is important to understand is I'll use the terms a strength of offer. 
Okay, so if someone says, but I offered them 500000 they accept 490, $490, why was that the case? It's like, well, the $490,000 contract meant that there was no conditions and it was in, the money was in their account 30 days from now, whereas your $500,000 offer was subject to task, subject to finance, subject to searches, subject to cooling off, subject, subject, subject. So it's I didn't understand this before I worked in the office here with Pat, but I mm. was just thought, if you've got the most money or you, you offer the most money, you win. That's right. But then, you don't. Mm. And look, these people that I was describing earlier, John, their clause was so simple. So they wanted a search clause put into the contract, mm. which allowed them to check with the council that everything was approved at the property. Mm-hmm. The way the solicitor had worded it was that if anything was not approved, the vendor was required to fix it prior to settlement at their cost. Yeah. No. Now, I argued that the reason they may not be winning these properties is that the vendor may not want to fix these items and they should have the right to cancel the contract so if they didn't want to fix it. Mm. So we just slightly changed it that allowed them to do their searches, allowed them to find out if anything was wrong, and then we changed the clause to basically say that the vendor can choose to rectify the issues within a certain time frame, mm-hmm. or if they don't, you can choose as the purchaser to cancel the contract or accept it in its current condition. Yes. So they still got their security to make sure everything was approved, but then there was options available for both the purchaser and vendor to proceed forward. So the vendor might if say, oh, that's a $500 fix to get that approved. I'll, I'll just go do it. it. Or... It might be a $20,000 fix and the vendor's like, I'm just not physically in a position to do that. Mm. So that clause, just the way it was worded, was slightly, obviously it was very favourable to the purchaser, which is what a solicitor's there to do is to look after their clients. Absolutely. However, they were actually damaging their client's Mm. position um, because of the way it was worded. They were just putting their client in an awkward position where they're competing against another buyer. Yep. The agent's just like, nah, let's go with this. It's easier. Yeah, exactly. It's just that. I think there's... the right to have that clause was there and mm. they should be entitled to check those things. However, it was just needed some tweaking so mm. that it was a little bit fairer for both parties. Yes, yeah. And yeah. and that's what it is. Like, contracts are all about negotiation and mm. finding a fair playing field for everyone involved. Mm. And by all means, I get a solicitor to check over and make sure it's all done the way you want it to do. Mm-hmm. But understand as well that sometimes those clauses may need to be slightly tweaked um, yep. to still have the same outcome, but just make sure it's fair for everybody. Yes, and and that's the good point because it's always in a solicitor's best interest to be, you know, obviously maximise their client's protection, which is what they should be doing. However, it's just as part of that negotiation process, just bear in mind is that the harder terms you might put on your offer, the less likely you are um, to win a property. Yeah, yes, and that's it's all part of you know doing that homework prior to. And I suppose the other thing about getting educated in that sense is if you know what you're offering and that you can be a little bit more comfortable in tweaking the clauses to strengthen the term of your offer. Rather than having a 21-day building inspection clause, you might narrow it to seven days. You know, it's like, right, I, I, want my, I want this to happen quickly. I know I'm asking a lot, but I'm going to make sure that everything's satisfied very, very quickly. That's subject to searches clause. I know it takes 21 to 30 days from the council. Just Let's just use that as an example. I only want seven days to do some basic searches. Okay, so I know I'm asking a lot at the front, but you'll know in seven days whether or not all this stuff's going to be approved. So there's all this wiggle room in, the, in an offer process that... And vendors don't, like we said, it's not all about price for them. So the vendors I'm currently working with at the moment, there are a couple that are trying to buy another property subject to the sale of their current home. So price, although it's important, it's not the be or end all. Like mm. they're more interested in quick finance terms, quick clauses to get unconditional faster so they can confirm the, the sale of the other property. So yeah. obviously people just drill down all the time and think price is the only thing that makes up a contract, but that's not necessarily the case. Absolutely. If you've got two contracts side by side and one's incredibly fast, but it's a couple of thousand dollars less than the other one that could take a lot longer, then a vendor might say, well, I need this to happen quickly, so I'm prepared to take the cheaper price just to get it done. Yeah. And look, one of the things I might um, move towards here is a common question we'll ask is someone will say to my face, you have to present my offer. And well, it's like, well, 
well, that's not 100% true. So what I mean by that, someone go, will the owner take 500? It's like, no. But you didn't, you, you have to present my offer. It's like, well, one, we haven't, we haven't put it in writing. Um, all you've done is just thrown a price at me. You haven't given me the claims. Oh, do you mean like a verbal it? offer? Like rather than that's it being right. in a, an so, offer like we've described on paper with the two logos, etc. Yeah. If they had that with the 500, even if, say, the property was worth 800 or something, would you have to go down the path of signing all that and then delivering yeah, it? Yeah, so, so in, the, in our code of conduct, that if you're a um, licensed state agent in Tasmania, we've got a code of conduct that we must follow. Yep. One of the elements that it describes there is, yes, we, the, the owner will be notified of all offers that are presented in writing, and then that will be re-notified of their decision back to the purchaser. So, and so a lot of people can get gun shy, especially five, they've had five, six offers that have been rejected. They're like, look, I just want to know whether or not my terms will be accepted. I don't want to have to write it. I don't have to do this. Can you please just, I'm going to offer five, five, sixty subject to finance. Can you get me an answer straight away? Yeah. Like, well, you, you know, so what, what does that mean? Well, um, technically, I, I could just, you know, call up the owner and just have that negotiation verbally until some terms of agreement. Then the contracts get drawn up. You can do it via email and then the contracts get drawn up, which is a little bit more common, in, say, in Victoria, where you've got huge contracts to sit there and write every little term appropriate. So yep. you'll have a back and forth uh, via email or confirmed and, and then it'll all be formed on the contract, whereas in Tasmania it's more common. To, to me, an offer in writing is one that is drawn and the terms are, are on the contract itself. So that's an offer in writing. And if we've got one of the if – if that's in writing, then absolutely that will be presented to the client or to the to the vendor in this case. However, if you just throw out a number, it's like, well, we've got no obligations under our code to sit there and tell our client about it. What so if it's a super low ball? Would you just tell them not to spend their time writing it up or say I was – Offering way below what the asking price was. It all depends on what our cli- what the client needs. Again, in that instance, if it's let's just say the, the advertised price, we'll just keep, keep rolling with this five hundred. Yeah. And then they go, I'll give them three hundred. It was like, I don't think that's going to be enough to buy the property. But I want you to tell the owner. Well, you know, I might have instructions from our client that says, look, we, we don't want to hear from you until you bring me a written offer at five hundred. Mm-hmm. You know, so in in that case, it's just well, you've discussed it with the owner already, and you know their. Um, parameters of what don't what? come to me with stuff that's mm. out. But as far as written offers go, I you should always present them regardless of price, even if it was a three hundred thousand dollar offer. Because absolutely, um, at the end of the day, when it comes to a written offer, we may have instructions from our owner that says I won't accept anything less than four fifty. Don't waste my time, mm. and we get an offer of three hundred in writing. I would still present that, even though they've told me not to, mainly because. I don't know if my owner's circumstances have changed in the last two to three days, a yep. week, whatever it was since I last spoke to them. Mm-hmm. And I can't make the assumption that they will no longer look at this. Something drastically may have changed in that short period of time. And all of a sudden we need to move. We need to get this done less than what we want. And the other reason why I would never not present it is 300000 might be the offer. But that not, might not be the end price. So then so, that starts negotiation yeah. back to so closer to So as an agent to just want. say you're an idiot, go away, I'm not presenting you $300,000 offer. That's ridiculous because this lowball offer of three hundred might end up at four seventy five when we're all said and done. And if an agent just tells you to go away, then how do you get that negotiation going? How do you know that that's their final price? Mm. They could um, just be playing that game. Of, yeah. I'm just going to send out a lowball, but really I'm Which doesn't to tend to work in this market. Um, and a lot of people think they can still do it in this market, but it doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> But it's just important to also remember that you should always present the offers regardless how silly they are. Yeah. Yes, we may not be legally bound to do it with verbals versus written, but 
we should be having that conversation anyway just so an owner is aware of what people are saying about a property. I know this sounds ridiculous and you're just going to have to humor me. Does it have to be a monetary offer? Could I offer them like my Super Nintendo and my car if I was to put that in writing and then give it to you guys, would you then have to take it? Well, fundamentally, the the with the, with the, in the offer process that you're describing there will be drastically different than the contract that's required in order for the um, exchange of um, title. So if you wanted to offer your car and your and your Nintendo... Super Nintendo. The Super Nintendo, fair enough. Valuable one. Yeah, yeah, 100%. With Mario All-Star and oh. Yoshi's Island. Yeah. Oh, now, jeez, he really wants his house. <laughs> Zelda. Oh, no, I'm keeping that. <laughs> Metroid. <laughs> anyway, um, look, you'd have, to, you'd have to come up with a completely different form of contract. So you'd have to... Um, but for argument's sake... Well, look, I think any... I, I really don't I know. I know, like it yeah. would most likely so the, be... Well, he, no, the problem... I don't think so because the problem is the state government needs a, a number affixed in order to be able to charge appropriate stamp duty. So I don't think just the sake of a car... You couldn't really... St- um, although they'd probably... If you, I'm just thinking this through. If you could do it... What about Bitcoin, John? Oh, there you go. Well, there, there was um, there was the, there was one property that sold for Bitcoin in Queensland, I believe it was. He was accepting Bitcoin. What I'm, what I really want to know is, in the event that you do trade your house for um, your grandmother's old boots, what what like interest- R M Williams or what type of boots? We I'm thinking R M S. I'm thinking R M S. <laughs> it makes me think of that. Wasn't it the guy that started with a paperclip on eBay and he ended up getting a house? Yeah, at the just end? trading, 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 trading. What I'm curious to know though is when you do exchange title for. And if, if someone could tell me what this might what happened is that the thing is the state revenue office needs to get paid for the stamp duty, so the thing is then is that how do they define the value in the exchange of a paperclip? They get the shoelace from. I the assume boot. they'd get a valuation done, and then you pay that. To, you'd pay that. Yeah, and you'd probably be forced to pay the valuation fee as well. I'm yeah. assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, off topic a little bit. But yeah. Hey. Exactly. But <laughs> hey, but if your office, if you try to trade someone your car for the house, might not be successful until you do your research prior to, which is what no. we're talking about here. Let's finish up, but I've got one last question I want to ask, John. Mm. What is the silliest clause you've seen in a contract? Silliest clause? Like just something so ridiculous, you're like, why is this even in here? Look, we have. I don't think I've ever come across a funny one in that <laughs> sense. Do you have one, Pat? Uh, not so much a clause, but I have a funny deposit. Yeah, what was that? Super Nintendo. I wish it was. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would happily <laughs> hold that in my trust yeah. account. <laughs> <laughs> I had a contract with a $10 deposit. Ten up, ten bucks. Ten bucks. The purchasers didn't want to pay a deposit at all. The owner and his right was saying that legally to have a contract, it needs to have a value deposit. It does, yes. And so he was asking for a thousand bucks. I don't know, it was a, say an eighty thousand dollar block of land or something. He said, "I want a thousand bucks." They said, "No." Yeah. And then the vendor came back and said, "Well, I'll take ten dollars." <laughs> so I had the purchaser come in and pay me ten dollars. Did he ten dollars? Ten up. But the worst part was the contract fell over, and then I had to get the ten bucks back. <laughs> And I got and bought a Happy Meal with it. Which was just a pain. Because <laughs> yeah, the thing is, yeah, you've got to have all the different the checks and balances against your trust <laughs> account as well. So you can't just you can't get out a tenner from your trust account. You've got to have dual signatories. You'd have to you'd actually physically have to write a, a, a check for ten for a tenner. Yeah, wow. give him that. Yeah. Uh, God, I, I just realised looking at that, there is so much more to. We cover. didn't talk about anything on the list, yeah, but hey, yeah, 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 boys. Um, I don't feel any clearer at the end. And so, if anyone out there listening, I'm actually concerned. John's more confused himself. A couple yeah. of those moments he's looking at his face and he's like, oh, What shit. did I just talk about? I yeah. know, I, I think the genesis of this idea was, um, for this episode, was I found an old document in our Google Drive 
that was like the making a offer. an offer. And I don't think we followed it at all. No, but I was thinking either <laughs> I, I'll pop that in the show notes for anyone that's confused. <laughs> yeah, but maybe we read over it, and, <laughs> and then we'll come back. And yeah, we'll, and we'll do a, a well, sequel where we actually know what we're talking I about. G- I guess that's the thing. Is it when? Um, my normal way of educating how to make an offer is I'll just be sitting with the person going through the terms of the contract. Um, but that would be a very boring conversation over the property pod, I would imagine. It's funny oh, because... It could be exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's true. 40 I've minutes of us reading a contract out. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a work experience kid working with me this week and yeah. as I've been going through some of the processes I do, I've been trying to say, oh, just do this, do that. And then actually verbalising all these things that are automatic in my head. Yes. I'm just like, oh, I don't know how to describe... I'm like, yeah, just right-click on this and then send it here and do this and do that and do that. I'm like, it's really difficult. Yeah. So clearly it's difficult to talk through. Like, that's just fixing up a photo, but this is writing a contract to buy a very expensive thing. Yeah, yeah. And look, I think that's, um, you know, again, we'll just, I just want to stress at the end is that make sure you know what you're doing b- before. Sit down with someone that can walk you through the contract because the more certain you are about all your terms and your price and getting all your homework done gives you the confidence to actually be in a better position to make a good offer on a property and negotiate well. And I just want to put out there as well, I'm sure John's the same, I would be more than happy to talk to any first-home buyer or purchaser that is confused by the process yeah. and if they just want an independent chat. Uh, they don't have to buy through me if they're picking a property with another agency and they're just concerned about the process. I'd be more than happy to have a chat on the phone or email some questions if they have. Just reach out. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, absolutely. I did set up a email for the Property Pod last week. Ooh. Oh, cool. So I think it's propertypodau at gmail.com. Propertypodau, propertypodau at, gmail.com. at gmail.com. So if you want to reach out to these boys, I'll pass it along to them. Obviously, they've got their work emails, patrick at 414.com.au and... Yep. John at McGregorFN.com. You can reach out to those boys. There's the phone numbers that uh, you'll have to search online because I don't want to say them because I'm not very good at numbers. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, even if you didn't get that much out of today, you do now know that you can't trade a Super Nintendo and car for a property. Well, but if you've got one, I'm happy to talk further via email. And I really want to know the process of making that happen. <laughs> well, I'm just curious and getting one <laughs> yeah. for the collection. So yeah. if anyone's got one and they're thinking about selling it... <laughs> And not that bloody remake crappy mini one that they yeah, sold a while yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. They're rubbish. Yeah, yeah rubbish. No, not worth it. All, all right, boys. Gentlemen. Yibbity, yibbity. Thanks for the rabbits. Absolutely. That was a bit of fun. That's all, folks. See That's all, all folks. See ya. You have been listening to The Property Pod, produced and edited by 414 Media House in conjunction with 414 Real Estate and McGregor First National Propriety Limited. This podcast is general information only and the thoughts and views expressed is the opinion of our panel and listeners should always seek then use their own investigation into any topic we discuss to ensure they fully understand their own situation. It does not constitute and should not be relied on as purchasing, selling, financial or investment advice or recommendations expressed or implied and it should not be used as an invitation to take up any agent or investment services. No investment decision or activity should be undertaken on the basis of this 